I'm Kate, owner of 123, a business dedicated to supporting leaders who want to be their best selves every day because your employees deserve a leader who does their very best. Leading is hard work, but the chairs here at 123 are comfy. Please have a seat and join the conversation. I invited Tony to the comfy chairs to continue an earlier discussion we had about generations in the workplace. This led to further conversation about personal values and tools for identifying priorities. Tony, would you tell me about the type of leadership role you currently hold? How many people report to you? How long you've been doing that work? Yeah, I've been in acquisition logistics for the Air Force uh, for about 14 years now. And um, in the last almost four years, I've been in uh, uh, a leadership or first-line supervisor role. So it's um, it's been a real fun ride and a big <laughs> big learning experience for me. Yes. Uh, switching from being a worker bee to jumping in as a first-line supervisor. And how many people are on your team? Oh, yeah. So I have... Uh, seven people report to me. Um, some are kind of a senior manager all the way up to a brand new intern. So, okay, yeah, so a wide range of experience. Have you had any recent experiences where the age or the experience gap has played a significant role in in a problem? When I first came in as a supervisor, um, it was a little bit challenging dealing with uh, a, an employee who uh, wasn't super motivated to uh, to perform, and it was really like it just was challenging. So, mm-hmm. and you had been coworkers before that, right? I actually no, I was brand new, kind of into that organization. Well, so it even brought in another layer of challenges. And it's like, hey, there's this thirty year old who has 10 years of experience, but is going to be now the supervisor over everyone who's older than him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny for me to think about you being 30. (laughs) So, um, Tony and I have known each other a long time, uh, now, and it's fun to kind of reconnected with him now that he's a professional. I was, I was actually Tony's Sunday school teacher, (laughs) When I was 30 and, yeah, gosh, you were what, 14? That's what it was. You were 15 the year I turned 30. I to remind myself, that doesn't mean I'm always twice as old as you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to be the case anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> English major, not logistics expert. <laughs> That's funny. We were talking earlier. It's, or at least I think it's fun to kind of reflect on the fact that where he is professionally now is where I was mm-hmm. um, at that point where that was when I was taking on my first really like formal title. I'd been a manager before in retail, but you know, this was my first director title mm-hmm. where I was part of the executive team, even though it was a small organization but that sure. same thing where it's like, oh, this is real. Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. Is real. I'm an adult now. <laughs> yeah, and it and it 
goes so quick. <laughs> it does. It all does. It's only going to go faster. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm experiencing that. <laughs> Was that something that you experienced as well? I've or? done. Yeah, I've I've been in that seat. Okay. Um, I have. I have a, a kind of a classic story when I was in my first, you know, director role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the director of human resources and I only had one employee. It was a small organization. So my t- department was tiny and we were at a job fair and it was so funny because my employee was this gentleman that was older than I, than I am, than I was. So, you know, I'm like 30 and I would say that he was probably probably in his late 40s at the time. I see. And just watching people come up to our, you know, our job fair booth and not talk to me. Mm. They would go to him. So, yeah, that's I I have had that experience long story short. Yeah, my first job I I walked in and I had a gentleman that was before then he outranked me like late in an earlier career. <laughs> so that was a little intimidating. So I was in a unique situation where I was, um, my position was new. So okay, I actually provided a lot more structure um, than what was had in the past, right? <laughs> it was still a challenging situation with that employee anyways, but I mean... We worked through it and we had a mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the kind of one of the truths is if if you're a competent, high performing employee, those things start to not matter. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there are a lot of things that can go into people's perceptions of folks that are older or younger, mm-hmm. particularly in leadership. But if everybody is appropriately focused on the work and working well together, Things like, oh, I've I've been here for 20 years and you just showed up. Mm-hmm. Those start to fall away. Right. Do you see any connection between how you lead and your side gig as a DJ? <laughs> That's a good question. Okay, so I wouldn't say how I lead. I just... I would say that I've learned a lot from DJing that has helped me in my career. Yeah. What Um, are those lessons? I think it's really communication and being able to like confidently address a crowd. Um, Whereas when I first started when I was 19, I was afraid to even speak my name in a staff meeting. So um, that's where... And I even tried Toastmasters to kind of help me with my my speaking ab- abilities. Um, and I've, I've found that DJing has, has helped with that mm-hmm. um, as, lo- as well as just be- being better at your job and knowing what you're talking about. I think half of the, t- the uneasy times that I've had was when I just, I didn't understand the the full picture so getting the full picture and then being able to talk about it um but anyways that that was kind of a little tangent there but uh that's how i've kind of really related my dj career um as i uh 
do side gigs with weddings and Mm -hmm. um, corporate events, things like that, and how I relate it to being a logistics manager. Well, that is a logistics job. There are so many logistics associated with it. You're right. Getting all my equipment and and making sure the, the caterer is ready. So, yeah, there is time management and all those, like, type things involved that um has helped me um but i think that's just with being a professional anyways trying to make sure that the customer's happy yeah my fun fact uh footnote today is that tony was our wedding dj (laughs) as well and did a magnificent job oh thank you oh thank you (laughs) we still talk about it so much fun oh good (laughs) We took a look at an article that talked about um, Pew Research and how they're making some decisions to stop always using generational differences as one of the lens in their research. And I know that you read through that and um, have some notes. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious what insights you gained. Yeah, so uh, the biggest point that I took out of that article was the fact that when you look at it, uh, generations through a lens like a millennial or a boomer, you start getting, I guess, prejudice. Yes. Starts happening. I totally um, agree. When you start seeing someone, you just start assuming that they're going to act in the way that they are in their generation. So for me, that was the biggest take away that if we start taking out the labels we start being able to i guess address other issues other Mm -hmm. i guess injustices that are happening um a little bit easier because there's just another lens that we get to Mm -hmm. take away this is this is a topic that i've had a lot of interest in over the last few years um you know, working in an environment that had a significant portion, kind of like you, of the workforce preparing to retire. Mm-hmm. A lot of newer people coming into that particular industry, you know, s- specifically nursing at that time. Um, just a lot of concern about, you know, how are we creating a pipeline? Mm-hmm. For some people that I've worked with, the concern was more about well, let's look through the lens of generation to see if we can recruit and retain these people. And what I saw is that it created this very narrow focus on only portions of the population. I remember being in meetings and, you know, other colleagues of mine would talk about like, well, millennials Mm -hmm. want this and they want this, you know, like more specific feedback and I'm solidly Gen X Mm -hmm. and I, I can remember thinking, I want all of those things too. Right. This isn't about this isn't about when we were born. Mm-hmm. It's that these are the things that employees want in the modern world. So I had an opportunity when I was pursuing my graduate studies to do some actual research on this topic. I found an article that talked about, you know, it may not be that at the time, you know, millennials are they were being facetious when they said this, but like self-obsessed or short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just people that are 25 are self-obsessed <laughs> and short-sighted. Yeah. 
you know, all joking aside, that what really matters in that space is what stage of life are people at. And that's why I think it's kind of fun for us to have this conversation. Absolutely. Because, you know, I I remember being at the stage where you are, where I was the, you know, the younger leader, you know, very, you know, wet behind the ears, mm-hmm. um, made a lot of mistakes. And that's how I started learning. So now that I'm, you know, we'll say I'm more seasoned and more experienced. <laughs> um, there are still things that I want from work that are probably very similar. Sure. But I'm also you know, much close, closer to starting to think about what could retirement look like for me, even though I still have another 15 or 20 years, mm-hmm. um, knock on wood, in the workforce, you know, that, we kind of all want the same things um, at the end of the day. It, I think it comes down to how are we showing respect for each other and any label we put on people chips away at that. Yeah, exactly. So like I, I kind of forgot a point that I, I just, I just remembered um, when I first started in the government, they did have a, a generational difference class that I took and they literally put up the slides like, this is what a millennial is. This is what a Gen oh X is. This is, this is what a boomer. And it's just like, yeah, not everyone fits into those molds. Mm-hmm. And so it's just becomes just yeah. not effective in, uh, in it, how we communicate with, with each other. I yeah. think. One, of, one of my arguments against the generational labels um, is the fact that there's no defining authority. And that's a red flag to me that this could be directionally interesting, but it shouldn't be what, it shouldn't be the thing we base our decisions mm-hmm. around people's employment experience. For and sure. it it can create this sense of conflict when it shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. You know, the okay boomer movement, yeah. or I, I think I've said this to you when we were talking that my caution to people is if you take out the generational tag and put in any other identifier, the way we talk about the generations is frankly, it's highly discriminatory and problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, millennials have ruined the housing market. There's <laughs> one of the, the titles I remember seeing um, a headline and, you know, let's take millennials out and say Catholics or mm-hmm. women or people of color, right. and that's a really bad thing to say. Exactly. So why have we made it okay? That just because you're this age or in this age range, mm-hmm. like, like <laughs> there is a big gap in the in the age ranges for yeah. the uh, for the generation right? labels. Yeah, <laughs> I'm oh. using air quotes. Yes, <laughs> you can't see them. <laughs> no, they can tell. <laughs> labels um yeah so when did you first I mean you said you took this class and they tell you okay you're a millennial so this is what you are oh I was probably like 20 years old when I took this class (laughs) (laughs) so just imagine that so you're like oh oh is that what I'm supposed to be (laughs) yeah so jeez can't imagine you at 20 even that seems grown up but um 
You're totally grown up. I apologize. <laughs> Let's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you entered leadership, did you have that filter on looking at your people or were you trying to fight it? I guess is kind of the, I'm not asking this well. I think I understand what you're saying. Okay. Um, I try not to have many filters, but you end up just in within you still have them like, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's hard not to judge, but you still end up (laughs) judging. I don't know. It's just hard to explain, but. Oh yeah. um, Well, it's, we're wired that way. It's a survival mechanism. It's, it's a pain. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why am I thinking like this? But to keep yourself safe. I mean, that's really the, you know, it's it's the whole issue of bias. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a chance to attend a webinar last month that the gentleman's, you know, his kind of catchphrase is, if you have a brain, you have bias. Mm -hmm. And bias exists because we have that amygdala, like protective system that our senses are constantly scanning our environment and making decisions about what's safe and what's not. Mm -hmm. And what that translates into is we make judgments. It's entirely natural. What's important though is to be intentional and to be, you know, self, self-critical, like critical thinking. Unfortunately, for lots and lots of reasons, there are a lot of people that think that those judgments are true. And they default to that. So, again, our, our intelligent thinking person's responsibility, if we want to be good citizens of the world, is not to hate ourselves for the fact that we have bias it's to recognize that it's it's ingrained in survival of our species. Species, I can't say that word out loud. And what do we do with it? Right. You don't always have to act on a bias. You can recognize it and set aside. And that's, I think, you know, we want to talk, I, I want to make certain we're very deliberately talking about, you know, leaders' responsibilities in this conversation Sure. And that's something as a leader, whether you're older or younger, uh, whether you have, you know, more relevant experience or less, whether you're new to the organization or not, male, female, any of the, again, right. descriptors you can put in there, are you paying attention to the assumptions that you make? And then if you're acting on those assumptions, that's where you can get yourself into trouble, I think. So yeah, I totally agree with Thank you. I think as you age, you 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 all you become more aware of how your decisions are impacting others, and whether or mm-hmm. not how you're you're leading and is whether or not it's effective. And the feedback that people give you is saying, "No, that wasn't really a good, <laughs> a good idea, Tony." Or um, yeah, I really like the way you handled that situation. So it's getting that reaffirmation. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think this is a good place. Um, You know, we've talked before about identifying your core values as a leader. 
Mm-hmm. And that recognizing that you can impact other people, knowing what you value and really influence that behavior. So I would love to hear what you're thinking about in terms of your personal values. So actually, I, before we talked a, a little bit earlier, um, I didn't know what my core values were and I, and I was okay with that because I know I have values. I just hadn't ever thought of them and kind of rank them as far as what I, what I really, really value. Yeah. So, um, we, we talked earlier and I, I went on online and I literally Googled and went to multiple search engines, just looking at words that stood out to me as like what really identified in, with me is what I valued over other things. Cause we all, we all have lots of values. This is true. It's just figuring out which ones are mean the most. Yeah. And, and what I learned today in preparation with, for this, uh, <laughs> is that other people are interested in wanting, wanting to know your core values. So particularly anyway. the people that report to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It matters. It is. It's what I thank you for affirming me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, one of the things, and this will be my soapbox moment. One of my many, one of the things that leaders have to do better early in their leadership career than later is define what's important to them. You can talk about that as values. You can talk about it as your leadership story. You know, there are a lot of ways to articulate it or to frame it, but it is an essential part of successful leadership. Exactly. So, so tell me. Yeah. So I found five that kind of resonated with me and uh, I ranked the first one to be respect. To me, if you don't have respect for yourself, for others, for your organization or mission, in my case, uh, working for the Air Force, just it's really hard to to work together and to get things done. So uh, that's what that's what I valued first, and then um, integrity, uh, doing the the right thing no matter what is also something that's important to me. Having those difficult conversations um, with employees when it's needed uh, is important to to have that. And um, yeah, so the third one was something that I kind of summarized and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Please. <laughs> I summarized as cohesion. It's something that I didn't see in all of the uh, the lists, but it's something that popped into my my mind, and that having a team be cohesive and know their part and uh, really uh, effectively do their job and their piece of the puzzle is just really, really important to me. I couldn't rate cohesion above the other two, but I th just that that stood out to me. Um, I also kind of on the way over here thought of like, well, what if someone leaves in your organization? Is that team 
going to still be effective without that person. So stay for instance, uh, someone got promoted and, um, so are those other employees going to be able to absorb that workload or not? Yeah. If you lose one person, does everything fall apart? Right. Or if a leader leaves and Mm -hmm. a new leader comes in, have you set up your team for success for cohesion? So that, that was something that really resonated with me. Um, and then for the fourth one, I almost chose change, but I didn't. I chose flexibility. Okay. And as a little bit more uh, general. Um, so flexibility meaning that in any given time, like you're going to look at someone's, I guess, uh, answer or uh look at your own bias and <laughs> see whether or not uh, you you can change, you can uh, adapt to that person's mindset or whatnot. So I thought that was pretty important to me. And then the last one was trust um, in somewhat relation to respect, kind of rounded out that if you don't have trust amongst your employees or in any relationship, then it just kind of all falls apart. Is that, to clarify, and the answer may be both, mm-hmm. is that trust that you value people having trust in you or you value being able to demonstrate trust in others? I think it's both. I think it's mutual trust. Mm-hmm. And I feel like trust and respect kind of go a little bit hand in hand. Like, but yeah. But um, but yeah, it's that, that mutual trust trust because if one person doesn't trust the other very well then I mean you still don't have a good relationship so I think mutual trust you know it's interesting um integrity and trust are closely related too Mm -hmm. I love the way you defined it you know doing the right thing no matter what um you know this about me I, I like to I like to kind of talk about what's the meaning behind it I you know I love words and integrity um, and trust have some of the same, like, very ancient roots. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that it's it's something solid. Uh, in fact, if we talk about, like, the integrity of a wall mm-hmm. or, you know, say if I, I, I used to like to do this when I was in, an, like, a high floor number um, conference room to talk about integrity because I could be like I'm pushing on the window because I know it has integrity mm-hmm. I'm not going to fall out of the 13th floor because I can trust the integrity of this construction so there's kind of that same thing going on there that you know it it's this beautiful echo between you want to you want to trust people you want to be trustworthy mm-hmm and your actions are going to show in your integrity to do what's difficult sometimes, but right. is it right? Um, and that's a way that you demonstrate respect mm-hmm. for people too. So it's it's kind of beautifully wrapped up. And then cohesion and flexibility, I think, have sort of a fun interplay with each other too. Right, because you sometimes think about cohesion as being like stuff is all glued together, mm-hmm. 
but you're also looking for openness and adaptability right in that cohesion is the mold gonna co- mm-hmm. kind of come together if if something goes awry yeah those are wonderful how does it feel to have those defined for yourself i think it's great um it kind of it's a stepping stone i think mm-hmm. and building i guess kind of just my leadership mentality i, I don't have a better word for it right it's a now perfect word for it um and how I make decisions and um, and what I talked about a little bit earlier was uh, I kind of went over this with uh, one of my employees and talking about these uh, these core values and she was just so like well that's that's awesome like I feel like I need to come up with my my core values too we should do uh, like a connect session on it. <laughs> yeah. So a connect session for those of you who don't know, it's just a, a monthly um, touch point to, uh, to bring teams together mm-hmm. in the air force. So, um, great. so yeah, I'm, I'm now charged to go introduce that to, to the team. That's fun. And the fact that one of my employees is super excited about it, uh, is very motivating to me. Um, and then also just to learn about what values does my team have, not just mm-hmm. sharing my values. I want to know what motiv- what motivates them and um, without having those frank conversations, sometimes mm-hmm. hard. You know, it uh, the danger in talking <laughs> about your values is it, it's going to create accountability for you. You know, if you're like, I really value respect, mm-hmm. but then you show up and you're not as respectful as you could be. Sure. No, it's. But it's oh. something that I I want, right? As a first line mm-hmm. supervisor who's who's looking to advance in the coming years, I want to. I want to be accountable. Good. That's fabulous. <laughs> I will be very curious. You know when you when you have the chance to do this with your team, to um. To hear, kind of what type of values show up. Um, I suspect there are going to be a lot of very similar ones because of the field that you're in. Mm -hmm. And it'd be curious to know whether or not you see any differences based upon people's, you know, quote unquote generations. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. And yeah, I, yeah, I I definitely agree with that, and I definitely am looking forward to to learning a little bit more about and seeing if it's if it matches up with what I think that they would say, right? Like, oh yeah, and that bringing that other that next layer in there and be like, well, that's kind of surprising. I I wouldn't have thought that so and so would have chose um, loyalty. <laughs> that's a bad one because everyone to be loyal but you know what i mean I there's, do. there's like, some oh i didn't expect that i feel like you, there's Kate. i feel like there's some core values that are like lesser than others but that's oh, just you want to talk about bias <laughs> that is bias oh man this is all coming together yeah. <laughs> well no i that is another i mean that's a point if because what we're talking about you know you said that one of the reasons that thinking about you know, assumptions around generations is important to you is because you want to eliminate ageism. Mm-hmm. 
something like a conversation about value, you know, what is it that you personally value can help you expose what are some of the assumptions I make. Right. You know, if, if I'm nearing retirement, do I think that, you know, anybody that's, you know, entry level, early career, that what they value is money. Mm-hmm. Just making up sure. you know, a horrible um, stereotype or they don't care about work. It's a way to counter mm-hmm. some of the assumptions that we make that are negative. Sure. Yeah. Because I, I predict that most of the team is going to have very aligned values. And anybody that's an outlier, you probably have other concerns mm-hmm. with if you do have any performance issues yeah. that you're dealing with, that they would be the people that kind of stand out mm-hmm. because our values drive our behaviors. Something that I'm, I guess I'm a little bit passionate about is uh, the Eisenhower box. Oh, yeah. You're familiar probably. I am. <laughs> yeah. It's actually helped me kind of reduce stress a little bit mm-hmm. and help me coach others. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what the Eisenhower, Eisenhower box is. The Eisenhower box, please tell us about it. Yeah, so the Eisenhower box is a kind of a, a graph where you have the importance on one, on one axis and urgency on the other. Mm-hmm. And um, specifically... It encourages you to not do the things that are not important and not urgent, like checking Mm -hmm. your phone or checking social media during the day. um, Or in my case, sometimes mindlessly scrolling through my latest 10 emails that I've already read. Like, (laughs) um, and then at the top, uh, part of it or the like 100% and 100% those are the things the urgency and the importance those are the things that you go and do mm-hmm. and you take care of and then if it's not urgent but it is important you need to decide when to do it yeah I mean, love I love a good four square model yeah and just to for people that may not have seen this one before if I may yes just to kind of visualize if you think about you know a grid Right. With four boxes, it's this idea that you can go on a continuum of urgency from mm-hmm. low to high, and that usually runs on the uh, the the X, right? The X axis. Yeah, and then the Y is importance. Correct. And you just plot, right. and you know you may feel tempted to be like, "Oh, this needs to sit near the line or not." But if you're just thinking in this quadrant way, it's where does this task fall? Right. And then it lets you, as you've started to point out, determine this may be urgent, but it's not super important, you know, or it doesn't need to be done right now. But the stuff that's urgent and highly important, that's where you need to focus your energy. And it lets you naturally prioritize Correct. the work. It's a great tool. Where did you encounter it? Um, so about about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, 
I was a part of the Defense Civilian Emerging Leader Program. Wonderful. Um, where we went to Massachusetts about six or seven times over the course of a year and learned just uh, how to be a leader. And um, one of these, this model, this Eisenhower model, really uh, stuck with me. And it, um, and I, I actually recently just shared it with my team be, uh, because mm-hmm. it is important to me and I I used it as a um, just a way to really uh, manage their tasks and so like uh, yeah so I, I just find it to be an, an important mm-hmm. tool for me and my toolbox for to be a, a leader I, I think trying to find values that are aligning with your, your job mm-hmm. or your your company or organization is important. Yeah. Yeah. And well, any mismatches might, might not be the best fit for you. <laughs> yes. You know, that's, that's really interesting, Tony, because I, it's so obvious, but do people really think about that when they're particularly early in their careers, mm-hmm. right? When what you're focused on is getting employment and then, Later in your career, you're looking, you know, because of the phase of life that you're in, you may be looking for more stability. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of put up with things that may be a mismatch. But if we think instead of how old are you Mm -hmm. or where did you grow up or what type of education do you have? If we're focused on what do you value and do your values align with the mission vision and Mm -hmm. goals of the organization that has such a great potential to impact not just our satisfaction but our performance you've always been a very thoughtful intelligent person I'm curious about you know 14 years ago Mm -hmm. when you started as like an extern right I never when I was a kid I want to go into logistics That doesn't happen. I'm just picturing a very small child wearing like a perfectly ironed starched white button up <laughs> with a with a clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyways. Um but yeah, I feel like I I fell into it and in some ways I've kind of been finding myself a little bit more along the way. Mm-hmm. and what I think my strengths are. Um, I really like supervision. What do you like about it? Leading the team and motivating the team to to get the job job done and trying to link people together. It all comes down to, I think, communication and whatnot. But That's exactly right. So I'm fond of saying that work is work. There are going to be aspects of the job that even if you love the job itself there will be parts of it that aren't your absolute favorite Mm -hmm. what do you find most challenging in supervising people I think balancing trying to like uh, do the whole programmatics thing but also the evaluation of people and trying to mm-hmm. keep track of it, everyone and that it's that it's a fair evaluation. So performance evaluations is always a 
Yeah. <laughs> I've recently landed on the language that leadership is balancing business goals and people needs. Yeah. And it's that, you know, performance management is a kind of this wonderful learning laboratory and how to do that, that we have to have goals. Mm -hmm. We have to get stuff done because we're at work. And in your case, you know, there is a deeply clear mission associated with it. Sure. Um, but then you're also dealing with human beings who have needs and fallibility and preferences and bad days. And yeah. So my satisfaction, and I think this is a testament to me being like, yeah, I love being a supervisor is I got more satisfaction out of resolving a conflict than a milestone in the program, if that makes sense. It does. So it like does. getting uh, two people to understand each other and communicate better um, when maybe that was hard in the past or seemingly impossible, that was a much, much better <laughs> feeling than just a completing a program review or briefing in front of someone that yeah. I hadn't, you know, so. Yeah. You're right. That is a mark of somebody that doesn't just like leadership, but yeah. is, you know, should be doing it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we need more leaders like that. Even if I don't work there, I love hearing about leaders in any organization that have that type of passion because it makes mm -hmm. us all better. Exactly. Right. Like regardless of where we live, what jobs we do, when there are leaders that are passionate about, are my people improving? Because mm -hmm. that's, I think we could talk about that accomplishment, that shared accomplishment as an improvement. And I think sometimes we need to like check ourselves as leaders. Tell more. Tell me more. Because so like, I agree. Yeah. I want to hear so what like, your thoughts are. <laughs> I mean, we go through the motions sometimes and just through our daily lives, but some sometimes you just need to hear something like <laughs> the Comfy Chair's first <laughs> podcast <laughs> to make you really think about like how you how you are leading and checking yourself and being like Hey, I should be doing something differently now. Mm -hmm. It's time. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. You know, we've, we've talked about a lot of things, right? Sure. You know, ageism and values. Love the values conversation. Um, you know, a great tool, the Eisenhower box. But I do want to settle back because, you know, when we first talked about you joining me in the comfy chairs, uh, we were focused on generations. Mm -hmm. um, I think the question I have at the end of the day is, is talking about generation, generations, is it the right conversation? I don't think so. Tell me why. I think we should be talking to people and individuals and I'm a millennial, but in some ways I, I feel like I identify more as a, I don't know, 
<laughs> a boomer and a millennial and a Gen Z, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. So it's just depending on on the day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Some of the research, they say what matters is not so much the year that you were born, you know, mm-hmm. the generation that you fall into, but um, the big historical events that you encounter. Okay. Uh, you know, we can think in the last you know, hundred years, there's, you know, some of the big ones, you know, the JFK assassination, the mm-hmm. Challenger explosion, 9-11, right. the pandemic is going to become one yep. um, that is a touchstone that everyone shares. Yes. So there's that shared point of reference. Um, technology, mm-hmm. that technology really influences what we could probably talk about as worldview, but also life, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also how you were raised, parenting. Right. And yeah. where you were raised. Mm-hmm. And just to add on to that, it's just like traveling and getting other people's perspectives in life and going to different countries and experiencing different people. You'll find that people are more alike than this, than not alike. Yeah. So, that's something that's just really stuck with me because I've, I've had the, I've been fortunate to travel the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, back to technology, even if you don't have the resources for global travel, we have access to so much information now and viewpoints and different types of thought and experience. It kind of disheartens me that, it's in that landscape that we have headlines like, again, millennials have ruined the house mar- housing market. Mm-hmm. How, how can we say that when we carry, we carry like all of the human knowledge in our pockets every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so un- mm-hmm. it's unfair. Yeah. To but, that group. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's also just, I mean, funny enough, this is that, it's the way we're wired. We're human. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all the same in that respect. And I think society has latched on to those mm-hmm. those labels. And yeah. it's going to be hard to take those away. Yeah, it is. I'm very excited to see that, like, you know, Pew Research. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet because I just found it yesterday. But McKinsey has released a report kind of along the same lines. Uh, I think it's called Generation What? <laughs> uh, good one. Yeah. Um, that you're, we're seeing some of those kind of big names in consulting and research saying, we need to back away from this. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's good for all of us at the end of the day because it's going to let things like values mm-hmm. um, and priorities, you know, core values and things like know eisenhower helping you prioritize Mm -hmm. your work those can take center stage right instead of having to worry about if joe schmo is going to walk in the first day and know how to use this computer yeah like that's just Uh uh-huh well you should have figured that out in the interview process (laughs) but (laughs) you know that's exactly right i'm not going to make assumptions about what you know because I think your resume is telling me that you're 50 or older. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, 
what are our priorities, right. what's most urgent and important, and what do we value. Right. That is the right conversation. There's a book I want to recommend to you. I may have a copy of it floating around somewhere. It's called Lynchpin by, I want to say it's Seth Godin. It's about um, being valuable, but not being indispensable. Mm-hmm. I think it really ties to that cohesion okay. idea. I think it's one that you might find okay. interesting um, to help you refine that cohesion concept. Because that's a wonderful value for a leader to have. Yeah, because I've, I've experienced when things are not cohesive and uh, that is when it the most drama and most just uneasy feeling across the team happens. So that's why I value that the team, team works together and knows their part. How would you like to end? What are, what are your closing thoughts? I just want to uh, say thank you. I very much enjoyed being a, a part of it. And I'm, I think that this is just a, a great, great tool that you're, you're giving to people for free. Thank you. That means so much. It really yeah. does. Yeah, it is. It is such a pleasure um, in so many ways. I'm so grateful that you're giving me some time. But then also just seeing, you know, I think about, I think about 15 year old Tony. Yeah. Um, even eight years ago, you know, as confident as you were as our DJ, you've had so much happen in your life, personally and professionally getting to reconnect with you yeah. at this point it's just a treat it really is it's a privilege and i so. and it's it's the right time too mm-hmm. like i'm not sure if i would have had the experiences to be able to talk about it today and um yeah so i, I just gravitated towards the the topics that you you talked about in your first podcast and i was like i need to reach out because <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we'll have to do this again. Awesome. Every leader has a responsibility to get to know their people. While some leaders may find the lens of generational differences useful, what really matters is nurturing understanding and trust with your team. So talk about what matters most to you and to each person and be clear about your shared priorities. Employees of all ages will benefit from your efforts.